All right, so as we're talking about the Bible, um, one of the things that, that I've told you that we're trying to do is really focus on what we need to focus on. Like, what eyes do you look at the Bible with? Um, so we talked at the very beginning, and all these are online, so I would encourage you guys, if you've missed some, um, you can go online. The only one that's not online is uh, last week, and that's because it's still on my phone. But I do have it. I just haven't had a chance to put it online. But... Um, so the first four sessions are on there, and we talked about God being gracious uh, and, and just having the eyes to understand who God is, the way that he functions. We talked about the fact that there's not, there's not multiple types of God. There's not the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. There's just God. Uh, God has always been merciful. He's always been gracious. Uh, when I was coming over here, and I don't really know why I was thinking about this, this might become a series that we do here in the church about Jonah, uh, and everybody knows Jonah and the whale, but um, the story of Jonah is real interesting because God tells Jonah to go and to minister to Nineveh. Nineveh is an arch enemy of Israel. Anytime that God wanted to judge Israel, he sent Nineveh to do it. Okay, so like they were the wicked hand of God, if you will, to bring judgment upon uh, Israel. Does that make sense? Not that God was wicked. Nineveh was definitely wicked, but God used, you know, God uses everything. He uses the devil. He uses wickedness and, and, and all those kinds of things. And so sometimes reproach would come upon Israel. So whenever God says, I want you to go to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Immediately Jonah's like, that's the enemy. Kill him. I don't care, you know, kill him. And that, that was his attitude. And so he just refused. I'm not going. And that's when he took the other ship and started heading to Tarshish. He's like, I'm not doing it, Lord. I'm not going to go over there. So we know Jonah and the whale, right? You know, the whole story. He spent three days, three nights in the whale's belly. And then he was coughed up on the shore, right? And after he had that experience, he runs into Nineveh and uh, meets with all the, the, the leaders of Nineveh. And, and he says, Listen, in three days, the Lord's going to kill you all if you don't repent. And so the king of Nineveh brought all the leaders in. And all the leaders agreed, hey, let's just call all the people. Let's get on our knees. Let's humble ourselves and pray. And we'll ask God to forgive us of our sin. Who knows? This is what the king says. Who knows? Maybe God will spare us. And so uh, that's exactly what they do. Well, God spared them. God saved them. And Jonah's response was, I knew it. <laughs> I knew that you were a merciful God. I knew that you were a gracious God and that you would save them. That's why I didn't want to come. I thought, wow, yeah, you know? And, and I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can kind of have that same kind of attitude towards people. And God never has that attitude. He never had it in the Old Testament. My point is he never had that in the Old Testament. He doesn't have it in the New Testament. Uh, the scripture I read this morning, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, is still as true today as it was back in the year 2000, whatever, B.C., right? God, God is just as merciful, okay? So that's the first lens that we need to look at the Bible. Who, who is God? What is his character? Remember, this, the Bible is about a king and his kingdom. It's all about him. Uh, it's not really about us. It's about a work of redemption for us, but it's really about him and his glory and his kingdom, Right? So uh, that's another way that we need to look at it. So I think it's real interesting that when you look at the, the, the Bible, and I think I told you guys this a couple of weeks ago, that it, the whole thing, the whole Bible is a prophetic book. 
from the very beginning, and as we looked at Genesis, we looked at Genesis chapter 3, and we saw the first prophecy that was made after they ate the apple, and it was um, the, uh, 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 he, when they ate that apple, it was about how um, Satan was going to bruise the heel of Christ, but that Christ was going to bruise his head, right? Christ was going to win the victory on that. So. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay, the door does that. Hey, Josh, you're going to need these uh, handouts here. Sorry, I haven't talked to you all. That's one way. I gave him Phil. There was an extra one here. I gave him. Okay, good. Good. So, looking at that prophecy, here's what I want you guys to understand. And this needs to be a blessing in your heart. Um, God always tells his people first the things that are going to happen. He always has done that. That is just another one of his characters. He tells you first. So, if you're ever in a situation where, and I've had people come to me and say, I don't know what I'm, you know, my job, my job's trying to transfer me. Uh, what's the right decision? What's the will of God for my life, right? And at some point in your life, you're probably going to be faced with one of those questions. And let me just give you a really quick formula that you can use because, and I'm taking this straight from the fact that God always tells his people things first. And I'm going to do that by an example, a personal example in my life. Obviously, God's moved me several times. And so there's been times that I've come across that. And I remember back in 2000 and, what well, was 2000, okay? In, uh, in 2000, I was in Kansas City. Uh, I was serving at uh, Kansas City Baptist Temple as a, um, I really wasn't on staff. I wasn't a paid staffer, but I was an associate to one of the pastors there. Uh, we had a Sunday school class of 350 uh, the, the church was running something like 3,000. And uh, so we, we like ha everybody, there was like four different churches that were going on inside there. And so I was, I was, you know, working with him. We were one of the, this was back, I went there in 1996 and we were one of the first ones to pioneer small group ministry. I wrote out some of the first documentations. We'd not heard about small groups. They were just starting to come on the scene. And, um, and so we wrote all the documentation for the new small groups that were happening there in Kansas City. So, you know, just really big deals that, that you know, God was really blessing and I really felt uh, overwhelmed with the ministry that he was giving me. Uh, and then I became in charge of all those small group ministries. So I had a lot of ministry on my plate. I came home from church one Sunday and I told Kim, I said, God's moving us. She said, what do you mean? You're talking about classes because you know like that would be going under another pastor there at the church or whatever sometimes people did that you'd work with one for a while work with another one and I said I don't know I don't know all I know is is that I feel in my spirit that God is moving us and she said well you know can you elaborate on that obviously I'm talking about her life right so um, I said I not really I don't really have that detail all I, all I know is is that something something's about to happen and God's going to move us well, as soon as I said that, there was a knock at the door. And uh, literally, we're in the kitchen. We're making Sunday afternoon uh, meal. The doorbell rings, right? So I leave that conversation with Kim. I go to the door, and it's my pastor's wife. It's Kathy McGoy. And I said, hey, Kathy, what are you doing? And she said, uh, well, I got this sweater for Kim. Do you mind if I give it to her? I said, no, she's in the kitchen. Go on in there. So we're really good friends with them even today. And uh, so she goes in the kitchen. I said, where's Mark, which was my pastor? She said, oh, he's just waiting out in the car. I said, you mind if I go talk to him? She said, no. So I go out there and I said, hey, Mark, what's going on? Well, three months earlier, the head pastor, uh, 
um, Jeff Adams, which wrote Search for Truth. Some of you guys have that book. Um, some of the material that I use is D2 material. He wrote that as well. Uh, but Jeff Adams had taken me to lunch, and he said, there's a church in Florida, about 400 people. Um, they're a discipleship church. They just need a good pastor. They've come to me, and they've asked me to recommend somebody uh, for that pastorate. And he said, my list is really short. It's you. If you want it, I'll recommend you. And I thought, man. I mean, I, thought, I felt really privileged. Out of all the 3,000 people in that church, he puts me on that list, you know. And, uh, but I told him, I said, I, I said, Jeff, I said, the Lord's not moving me. I said, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And I know that feeling and I know what that's like. And uh, I said, I, I, he said, well, what would you want to do? I said, I don't know. Someday maybe work on your staff. He said, well, I'm not offering you a job or anything. I said, I'm not, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, is I just know I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Um, and so that was three months earlier. So now back to the afternoon where I said God's moving us, right? So I go out there to the car, and I said, hey, Mark, what's going on? He said, Billy, he said, I know what you told Jeff a few months back. And he said, I'm not trying to, you know, pressure you or anything like that. He said, but I just feel overwhelmed by the Spirit to tell you there's this little church in Border. I thought he said Border. I tried to find it on the map. I couldn't find it anywhere. But um, he said, there's a little town called Border. There's a church of, you know, 100, 125 people there. Um, they're struggling in discipleship and they just need somebody to come and pastor. And I just looked at Mark and I said, let's pursue it. Let's do it. He goes, really? And I said, yeah, let's pursue it. He goes, okay, I'll make some phone calls. Um, that was at the beginning of September. By the end of September, I had gone and candidated at the church. By the time I got back, um, one month later, I had already sold my house. Somebody called on the phone while we were in Borger, called on, on our phone, left a message on the phone and said, hey, I heard you might be moving to Borger. If that's the case, I want to buy your house. I heard you're asking 70000 I want to pay. I want to pay you 70000 for your house. So by the time all of that happened from September, November 1st was my first Sunday in the pulpit there in, in Borger. Just happened that fast, two months, and we were moved, right? Why? Because God was in it. God was moving. And, and what I'm trying to get you to understand is the reason why I said yes was not because I wanted to go to a little town of Borger, Texas, instead of Florida, and a church of 100 instead of 400. You, you know what I'm saying? Because I had both of those. But here's what I know. God was moving me in one of those. The other one, he was not. God tells you on the inside. And Josh, I know you have a similar story to that even while you're here. And uh, so you know what I'm talking about. But guys, listen, God begins to speak to you on the, in the inside and you need to listen. You need to learn to hear the voice of the Lord. Listen to what he's telling you because he always speaks to his people first and then the circumstance bears it out. So here's the, here's the formula. God works from the inside out, not the outside in. So the reason why people are so confused is because Satan is the one that's the master of circumstance. Satan is the one running this world. You understand that? He's the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. This is, this is all his doing, right? So in saying that, he's the one that's the master of circumstance. So if you're, if you're only going on circumstance, 
you're going to get really confused because he's not necessarily trying to move you in the ways of the Lord and those kind of things. He can move you wherever he wants. So like, for example, I had a guy uh, that I was ministering to and he and I had just gotten into discipleship. I was just starting to get him on the right track. We're moving in the right direction. And then all of a sudden he comes, he says, man, pastor, I got this, I got this great opportunity. And I said, oh, wonderful. He said, man, it's with, it's with Hershey's and, and I'm going to be a salesman for them. I'm going to be putting stuff in their stores and, and they're going to give me a company car. And for him, it was just like a dream job. This was a young man and he was going to be making more money than what he'd ever made. And I said, man, where is this? He said, well, I got to move to uh, Elk City in Oklahoma. I said, man, Really? And he said, yeah. I said, man, I just, I don't feel a peace about that. And he said, what do you mean you don't feel a peace about that? And I said, man, listen, I said, it's your life. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. Uh, I said, but I, I, as your pastor, I'm just saying, I don't have a peace about that because I feel like that God put you here. We're on this track together. We're moving together. And I just don't feel God pulling you away. I don't think he's done with this thing yet and um, just crushed him, just crushed him, you know? And he ended up not taking that job. Um, but what, that, that was several years ago. What, what people might not understand about that is that he's the one that became the pastor of Fellowship Baptist when I left. Because God had started a track, you, you know? God had started to move. And so when you have decisions that come up, instead of taking out your list of pros and cons, I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, um, but it might not matter. It might not matter. I remember talking to a guy one time and, and I said, hey, listen, and this was a financial guy, right? And we were talking about budget. And we were talking about numbers. And we were talking about all that thing. I love budget and numbers, but at some point you have to sneak something into the formula called faith. Yeah. <laughs> well, faith doesn't have a figure, Right. right? So it's hard to, to deal with that. Um, and so I, I gave him an example. I said, okay, let's say that you're going to go buy a car. And you want to go buy this car. You've looked at this car. You've went online. You've looked at the, you, you know, you've looked at, at, at the, the reviews of the car. Uh, you've done all that kind of stuff. This is the car that you want. You've checked your budget. And so you get to the dealership and you're ready to buy this car. But yet when you get there, there's an old junker sitting on the side and the Lord says, I want you to buy that one. What do you do? You probably argue. Wait a minute, Lord, I've done all the research. This is not, that's, the junker is not the car that I want to buy. It's, it's a lemon. You, you can look at it and you can see that, that's not the one I want to buy. I've done all the research. This is when God says, no, I want you to buy that one. What do you do? If you're smart, you're going to listen to the Lord. Because... example. There are two kings over Israel, right? The first king was who? 
Oh, the first king ever? Yeah, the first king. Don't answer, because you probably know. <laughs> Does anybody else know? Take a guess. Who's the first king? Saul. Right? Saul was the first king. Now, here's what the Bible says about Saul. Number one, God did not want them to have a king. God is their king. Right? So the people come and they say, hey, we want a king like other nations. Now, here's the crazy thing. What Israel didn't understand is that they were actually going down in their standards to get a human king. They have the king of kings. Right? But they kept, they kept saying, we want a king like other nations. It's just like we talked about this morning about how people living in darkness, they're doing things in darkness, right? So Israel, but God says, all right, all right, if you want a king, um, pick somebody out. So they pick out Saul. Saul was a man of stature. The Bible says he's good looking, right? He's a looker, right? He's taller, you know, he's tall, handsome. Um, they think, man, this is our king. This is the guy that's going to lead us. And so... Um, what ends up happening? Saul doesn't follow after the things of the Lord. He leads them in, in the wrong directions. He's not obedient to the things of God. So God tells, Saul, uh, uh, tells Samuel, all right, I want, uh, I've taken the kingship away from Saul. I'm going to choose another. I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and I want you to pick one of his sons. You guys know this story, right? So Jesse has how many sons? Is it seven? I'm thinking. I know. I think it's seven. I think. I think you are. I think you are right that it's seven, but I don't know that number off the top of my head. But anyway, so but what do they do? They start with the the the, the oldest, right? The firstborn, which is the way that it should be. And God says nah. And they go through all seven of them until finally Samuel says, "You got any more? You got you got any other ones? Well, I got." I got my youngest. I mean, he's out there with the sheep, probably all smelly. You want, I mean, he's 12 years old. You want me to, yeah, go ahead and call him in. And the Lord chose David, a man after God's own heart. The, the most unlikely shepherd boy to be chosen because God has the ability to take those things that are small and do miraculous things with it. So, Sometimes what we want to choose and what we want to do is not what God would choose or the way that he would do it. And, and I can't tell you how many times that the, the message has rung out in my ears. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Quit trusting in yourself and listen to the Holy Spirit that I've put inside you because I'm going to tell you sometimes to go contrary to what you're thinking, but I'm telling you it's going to be right. So... Um, you know, and I have no idea what Florida would have looked like for me. I don't know if that would have got me to Georgia faster. I don't know any of that stuff, but I know this. I know that that's not what God said, which is good enough for me, yeah. right? Um, so I never sec second-guess the Lord. He always speaks to us. Now, just the reason why I tell you that is because the Holy Spirit in our lives is more than just the Word. It's more than just the Bible. Um, Can I ask a question? Yeah, absolutely. You said you, said you never... And I'm just, I just want to keep it on a real. You said you yeah. never second guessed. Mm -hmm. Does that mean you never argued? You never, I mean, just like, you, you sure, God? I mean, you never had any doubt? I mean, I know you, you were obedient, you know. but I was obedient ever... to the point of being mad. Right. And I'll, I'll explain. Mm -hmm. I remember in 2006 that I was so sick and tired of that small town. I've never been small town. 
Uh, I grew up in Houston, Texas, which is not a small town at all, you know. Um, so you, you, I, in 2006, which means I would have been there for six years, right? 2006, we're coming home from Ackworth because we had visited mom and dad for our vacation. And I'm literally crying in the car. Literally, I'm crying in the car. And Kim said, what is the matter with you? I said, I don't want to go back. I, I, I can't stand that place. I don't want to go back. And the Lord, I'm telling you, I've never heard the audible voice of the Lord. Okay, so I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. But he talks to me, right? Like, I hear, I hear him. So, like, I say that, and, and, and here's what the Lord says to me. In the car, on the way back, he says, what about Sean? Is Sean worth staying? And, and it made me mad. It made me mad. And I would, I would even ask the Lord, I'd say, Lord, I feel like you've given me such a big vision and something that you want me to do. Why do you got me in this little town where nobody cares? Nobody wants to learn the scriptures. Nobody wants to do anything. Why am I here? And he'd say, what about Sean? So as we're driving home from Georgia, right? Because this is what I, this is literally what I said. Lord, if you'll just set me free from that, if you'll let me go, I'll sell cars for my brother because he, he, he was working at a Toyota dealership here in town. And, um, and if you guys know my brother's story, you know, I could have very easily went and sold cars. I said, I'll go sell cars. I, I don't care. Just get me out of that town. I am so sick and tired of looking at the same streets and no trees. And, you know, I call it just the armpit of America. I hate it there, you know. Um, so anyway, what about Sean? That's what kept coming back to me. What about Sean? Well, while we're traveling, Sean calls. Okay, now this was young. He, I think he was saved in... Uh, he was saved in 2002, so he'd been saved for a few years, um, and he'd been on my hip, you know, he's just been learning everything. So he calls while we're on this trip, while I'm literally wiping off, off the tears, having this, having this conversation with Kim, he calls, he says, hey, Pastor. I said, what's up, Sean? And he said, well, I just wanted to let you know, man, I, there was a, I'm working at a gas station at night, and there's this couple that came in, and you know, I just, I really, I just really felt the, the moving of the Lord in my life to, to minister to them. And um, I put them up in a hotel last night. I just, you know, wanted you to know that I'm just taking care of business while you're gone. And, and I just started bawling again. Yeah, you know, because it was the Lord saying, Sean is worth it. I've got you there. And I was a missionary. What I found out later is I was a missionary. Never, ne I never was supposed to be there for a long time. Um, but I was supposed to be there to train up the next pastor and to train him up in such a way that he would have the tools necessary to do that. That was not my will. My, my will was never to be there. I I'll just be honest with you. Um, so, I mean, does that, does that really matter? When the Lord says go, you have to go. Now, I do believe that there were multiple lessons that I learned that prepared me for what I'm doing now, but I needed to go. Uh, I think it's better to obey because man, you know, when you don't obey, we could talk about that too. We could talk about Moses. We could talk about the fact that, you know, the Lord just doesn't change his call and there's still lessons you have to learn. So it may be 40 years later <laughs> or you could just obey, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know what? I stuck it out. 
Think about it, from 2006, I didn't leave there until September 2012. So that's like six years of hell for me, <laughs> just being honest. And it got worse. Like, I, I, you know, it got worse. And I remember one time, this is about 2008 or 9, somewhere around in there. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I'm driving down the, the road. I am hacked off because I can't stay in this town, right? Now, we're doing some things. I'm winning people to Christ. You know, ministry's happening, right? Uh, there's a men's home that we're putting in. We're doing all that kind of stuff. But I said, Lord, I am sick and tired of being here. Why did you assign me this assignment? And you know what he said to me? I'm telling you, it was as clear as if you were sitting in the passenger seat. He said to me this, this town is too hard for me to just send anybody. So I chose you. And again, I just started bawling. Because what happened that day, although I still hated the town, what happened that day is I understood the reason why I was chosen. Because somebody was going to have to fight for every piece of godliness. And, and that town eats pastors like crazy. There, there, is, an over, there is an overlooming evil. I'm, I'm not kidding. Over that town. And, and you have to go in there and you have to fight. Sword out. Strut, just you know, grabbing for every little piece of ground that you can grab for the Lord. And it was a huge fight. It was interesting to me when I started studying the, the life of David. And David comes to the Lord and, and, and David says, man, I, I really want to build a temple for your name. Do you know the response? What's the Lord say to David? No. Why does he say no, Sarah? Because uh, David had sin in his life and he said that his uh, sons could do it. He wasn't born chosen. Yeah. It wasn't really sin as much... It, it, what he said, does anybody, anybody want to add to that? It wasn't, his, it wasn't his purpose. It wasn't his calling. That's not why God he put him over. What's that? It sin, but it was so, so David, so this is what the Lord says to David. You have too much blood on your hands. Remember, right? You got too much blood on your hands. Because David was the one who, who did all the conquering and did all those kinds of things. And he said, but I tell you what, your vision is correct, right? I'll let you have that vision, but the one behind you is going to do it. Your son's going to do it. Because when his son comes in, he doesn't have all that blood from, from having to fight all the enemies, right? I kind of felt that same way, you know, that somebody had to go in there and, and, and plow the ground. Somebody had to go in there and do the hard work to prepare the ground for the growth. So when I turned it over to Sean, it was just, okay, man, you got it all prepared. You and God be well, and I'm out of here. <laughs> and I packed up, man, and I left. So. Not to throw a wrench in things. Yeah. Um, it, it's great to, to hear from him and, and to move on it and act on it. But when you want so much to hear from him and you don't hear from him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, that is so frustrating. Mm -hmm. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. Mm -hmm. I need you to reveal to me, and I'll do it. Okay, so my answer to that, oh, go ahead, Josh. Sometimes, this is where I in this job from about 27, I'm 35 now, 35, 
34 when I accepted this position to 35 shortly thereafter for about mm -hmm. seven or eight years. You can ask Trina. I felt like he did, except it wasn't like, I'm tired of sitting under other people. You've called me to this, you've given me a vision. But Reliant had, he, Reliant was where he wanted me to do it. Mm -hmm. And he put me in positions where I learned under people like Chase at New Season and a couple other churches where I got hurt. But he was teaching me things. And he, like you were saying, he would not answer. I knew the calling. I knew what he wanted me to do, but he wouldn't open the door and he wouldn't tell me to go ahead with it. It was just like, just like, keep serving me. Just like, and one thing the pastor always under said to me, man, um, Rick Don used to say to me, just when where you're playing, wherever God puts you, do the best job you can do there. Just yeah. work, lead worship in whatever capacity he lets you do it in, sing, do the youth, um, you know, find people to mentor. Um, and it's frustrating to all get out. You're not streaming, I beat my head on the wall, like you were saying. For eight years, just, because you want to do something different than what everyone else is doing, you know. And then you realize once you get your own body, you weren't doing everything because it takes time to build it and yeah. all that stuff. But but uh, you just have to keep doing what you can do until he opens that door, until he answers that question or that prayer. And it's frustrating, but he's, there's a reason why. And so what I would say to anyone is look for the lessons he's trying to teach you. Just make sure you learn them. And then pass those tests when he says, have you learned it yet? Right. Just always pass that test because you don't need to start to And you know what? Truthfully... So, Truthfully, sometimes it's just a waiting game. Yeah, it is. Yeah, sometimes it is. the Lord is setting it up and you don't you can't see all all that. And he just simply the answer is one we don't like. Wait. Wait. Let me let me tell you what well, just like Josh, if he were to come to you, he would have had to have told you, okay. Uh, Josh, I know you're 27, but when you get a little bit older, what I'm going to do is I'm going to move a man and he's going to start a church. If he would have told you, you're going to, you, you're going to be one of the pastors of Reliant. Yeah. Reliant didn't exist. But, but what's amazing is, you, you know, I had, I had a choice between this and another church and I had already met with that other pastor and I was considering it. We had some past that wasn't great, but I was like, maybe God's doing a different work. I sat down with you one time and I don't know how you felt. When I left, I was like kicking my heels and I was like, okay, God, I know now. And it was amazing because it had been eight years of frustration and I knew that. Yeah. He told me when, I, when we were sitting there, I left out and I knew. I knew because of your vision and what you wanted with discipleship and mm -hmm. mentoring and all that. Forget the church stuff because you can have church anywhere. But what are we going to do to grow these people? And that's when I just knew. And I know this is a, you know, we're, we're telling you our personal stories. For me... I remember um, going up to Kansas City and I went to a conference and um, um, the, the guy that was in the conference, he took us through the, the story of, uh, of Joseph. And if you think about the story of Joseph, it's really, it's really exactly what we're talking about where the Lord gave him dreams. The Lord gave him visions of what he was going to be, how he was going to rule, and his brothers tried to kill him for it, right? They throw him in a pit, they sell him. Well, maybe, and maybe he was, you know, like, who's this kid thinking he's going to, you know, rule and reign over us, right? So they throw him in the pit. Um, they, man, there's, I'll have to take you through this sometime. But if they throw him into the pit, they sell him into slavery. He gets into Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife lies about him that, that, you know, he was trying to sleep with her. And so she gets him thrown into prison. So now here he is in prison in Egypt, right? And he's just waiting, and when you read that story, there's no times where it says like the Lord's coming and comforting him or angels came by his bedside. There's nothing. And then all of a sudden you have a butcher and a baker that's thrown into jail. And when they're, and when they're thrown down there into prison, he interprets their dreams. 
One of them's going to get his head chopped off. The other one's going to be restored to his place with the king. And he tells, he, he tells the, the baker, he says, listen, when you get restored, do me a favor. Just remember me. Just remember me. And then the next scripture says, in two years past. Now we read that and it's a couple of words and it's in two years past and we're like, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine Joseph sitting there going, I'm forgotten, man. He's been in this prison for years waiting. He's just waiting. And what the, what the guy said was, and, I, and by this time I'm sitting in the pew just bawling because this is exactly the way that I feel in Borger. But um, as, we're, as we're sitting there, uh, he says, you know, can you imagine what it was like 30 minutes before he got the call to go and stand before the king? It was probably one of the lowest points in his life. Are we ever going to do anything, Lord? Is this what you have for me? This is it, you know? But then he didn't know, he didn't understand that just 30 minutes later, he's going to be called up to the king and he's going to save the entire world. But he had to wait. So to answer your question, I think sometimes the answer we don't like is the Lord saying, just wait. Um, But I will say this, when you have a decision in front of you and the decision must be made, always go with peace. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter four that he will give you a peace that passes all understanding. And there are times where you've got two things laid out in front of you and I don't care what the circumstances are because remember that the devil runs the circumstances, right? Um, If you haven't heard from the Lord first. Now, if he works from the inside out, he'll tell you and then he'll bear out the circumstances, right? But if you've got this decision out there and you're not hearing anything from the Lord and and you have to make a decision, the only thing you can do is follow the peace of God. And the only blessing that you can hold on to is that God knows. So if he's gonna put you in that situation, he's already made provision for whatever he's gonna tell you to do or whatever you're going to do. So as long as you're following the Lord, it's really, really hard to make a mistake. When you were saying that, I was thinking about Abraham. And and when she asked the question, and Abraham was was told, you know, him and Sarah were told they were going to be, you know, he was going to be the father of, of many nations. And, yeah. and they were going to bear, and you know, the bearing children, I think you've said that in the last couple of lessons, but yeah. they, they didn't wait. They went ahead and took matters into their own hands and it caused a catastrophe. And, you know, and, and that we're still paying for it today. Right. Um, but, uh, and I think that's a lot, a lot of uh, what, I'm, I'm glad that the Bible isn't full of everybody who did everything perfect. Abraham didn't wait. He made a mistake. He messed up. God still made him the father of many nations, but on God's terms and in God's time. And, and what, what we're, we have a tendency as humans, as, as this flesh, to do is say, I, you, God's given me a dream. I'm going to go ahead and just take matters into my So if God told you right now, uh, you know, Josh, I'm going to put you over this church and this and that. You say, well, okay, to get there, I need to go do this. And you may take your own path to get there instead of the path that, that God wants you to be on. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I say all that because I, I do think that it's important to understand that God speaks and God's always telling us. He's always telling us the future. Okay. So why is that important? Why is that important for us as Christians? We're going to be listening. Huh? We're going to be listening. Yeah. So what do we know? What has God told us? What do you guys know about the future? Tell me what you know. I'm an heir with Christ. 
Okay. Okay. We're going to be joint heirs with Christ. What else? What do we know about the future? <laughs> what do you mean by that, Josh? We win. Christ comes back and he's going to be on the dead with the word from his mouth, I believe. Okay. Because the sword will come from his mouth, I believe he's going to speak and everyone's going to drop on one knee. Mm-hmm. Our side and the other side, they're not going to be able to and we'll be caught up into heaven and there'll be people thrown in the lake of fire. But in the end, if you're a Christian, if you have that relationship with Christ, it's, that's, he's going to create that new earth. So victory is ours. Um, already. Like, the victory is already ours, right? Um, and sometimes you hear, even hear pastors say, well, you know the end of the story. So, you know, we, we have the end of the story. I want you to turn to Ezekiel. Look at Ezekiel 33. And let me tell you why prophecy is important in your life. Um, for us, and it was funny, I was talking to my dad one time about prophecy and, and some things in Revelation and and just some different things that are going to be coming and whatever. And my dad says, yeah, I'm not concerned with that. And I said, what do you mean you're not concerned with that? He said, well, it doesn't have anything to do with me today. And I said, well, um, yes and no. And he said, well, he said, I know this. I know that my concern is to win as many people to Christ as I can. Uh, the concern about when all that kind of stuff is happening, I'm not really concerned with all that. If that were God's attitude, there would be no reason for him to write the end of the book. There'd be no reason for us to tell him that. I do believe that the scripture teaches that fear is the beginning of wisdom. That's what it says. Fear is the beginning of wisdom. So what that means is, is that when you say to somebody, you need to be saved. The question would immediately arise, saved from what? What do you mean I need to be saved? Um, and, and, you know, I was, even talking to, I was even talking to a member of our, of our church. He said, you know, uh, I don't know that Seven Hills is going to be a good place for us to try to plant because, you know, everybody's got money and, you, you know, it's, it's a little more of an affluent area. So, um, you know, they, they don't really, they're, they're really not in need of God. And so I would rebuttal that and I would say, is that really true? See, it all depends on how you look at God. If you look at God for, for your sustenance of things today, then I would say, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the truth. But what about the future? There was a pastor one time that he would go out and witness him. He would talk to a guy and he would say, hey, uh, um, what do you do? I'm an electrician. Okay, great. Um, what are you going to do after that? I don't know. You know, I'll work until it's time to retire. And after I retire, I'm... You know, hopefully I'll have a little nest egg and I'll do a little, you know, traveling maybe. Okay, good. Well, what about that? Well, I'll probably have grandkids, you know, I'll spend some time with the grandkids. Good. Uh, what about after that? Uh, after that, I'll probably be trying to settle down and, you know, just live out my days. And I don't know. He said, well, what about after that? He said, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'll probably die. He said, well, what about after that? <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that we have to remember life is but a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. And God has set us up to be the watchman for people to say, you need to understand that death is looming, right? I was talking to Keith the other day. He, he and I had gone to get, get some supplies. We were coming back. And he was telling me about the lady that passed away right there on, uh, on 381. Uh, what was she, 32 years old? Had a blood clot, right? Passed away. We don't know. We don't know. 
I don't know if somebody had told her about eternity. Um, she found out. I, I don't know what she found out. She found out something. We're the watchmen. We're the ones that God has set and, gave, and given the word to to say, somebody's got to tell these individuals. Somebody's got to let them know that it's not all, it, it, it's not all love, flowers, and roses. There is a damnation that's coming for those that don't choose God. And that's reality. Now, we can wish it away and we can say, you know, that's not popular today. We shouldn't preach on that. And that's really not the way that you win people to Christ. You know what? Sometimes I beg to differ because I think I think that we have this shallow Christianity today is because people really don't understand what they're saved from. Mm -hmm. Because when you really understand the depth of your salvation and what God actually did for you and the price that Jesus paid for your sin, taking away that that rebellion in your heart, it, it, it's impressive. Look down to verse number seven. I'm in Ezekiel 33. You guys there with me? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 33. Um, you know what? I'm going to go up to the first of the chapter. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. So this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel. He said, Speak to your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and, and, and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, and then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. Did you guys catch that? I read it pretty fast. What he's saying there is that if you set up a watchman and that watchman sees the enemy coming, he blows the trumpet like he's supposed to or rings the bell or whatever he does, and people just like, ah, that dude's crazy, man. He's always ringing that bell. He's always blowing that horn, you know, whatever. And they, they don't pay any attention. And then the enemy comes. He says, well, his blood's on his own hand because the watchman tried to warn him and tell him that they were coming, right? That's what the watchman's for. Verse number five. It says, he heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning... Uh, he, he, would have, he, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes, and, and, and takes uh, any uh, one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Now, here's the kicker, verse number seven. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. You know what the Lord's telling him? You better be blowing the trumpet. You better be letting them know. He says, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to, to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. Now, you're not going to be held responsible for somebody else's sin. If that person dies, they're going to die in their own iniquity. But look what it says. But his blood I will require at your hand. Why? Because you knew and you didn't tell. I don't know about you, but that's heavy. That's heavy. Verse number nine, it says, But if you, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. He says, I'm not going to hold you responsible for that. 
So, yes, by all means, I think that we should tell people about the, the goodness of the Lord. I think we should tell them about the love of Christ. I think we should tell them about the cross. But the cross doesn't make any sense without the penalty. Right? Go over to Romans. And one of the things I'm trying to do for you guys is I want to build an urgency in you of why we would even talk about prophecy. Uh, it's not some cutesy little thing. These are the warnings that God has laid out. These are the trumpets that God has said, you need to know this is coming. And you guys are the, are, are the watchmen, the ones that are going to be telling. Look at uh, verse number 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, pretty familiar verse. Um, it says, For I am not ashamed of, of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You guys have probably heard that verse before and how blessed it is. Paul comes to the, to the Romans and he says, man, I'm ready to preach. I'm ready to tell you what's up, right? Um, um, because the gospel is good for everybody in this place. Verse 17 says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then he goes on. And sometimes we don't get past that little verse right there. But verse number 18 says, for... The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is, is plain in them because God has showed it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. So what I'm saying is, is that he says the reason why I'm ready to preach the gospel is not only because it's good for everybody, but wrath is coming. Wrath is coming. And if you don't repent, if you don't turn from your wicked ways, then you're going to perish. And God's not willing that any should perish. So he sent the watchman. I believe one of the reasons why you're sitting in this class, and please keep coming, but I think one of the reasons why you're sitting in this class is so that you can be a good watchman. So that you have the answers. When people say, what's coming next? What's coming in the future? It's not all blessings. You see now, it, it, it's, have you guys ever seen The Watchtower? Have you ever seen that magazine, The Watchtower? Mm -hmm. uh, which comes from uh, Jehovah's Witness. Okay, well let me tell you, let me tell you what the Jehovah's Witness believe. What they believe is, is that um, there's, no, there's no looming judgment that's coming. What they believe is, is that we're going to set the world right. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to make everything uh, happy and roses and we're going to cure hunger and we're going to do all that stuff. And when, we, and when we fix all the ills of the world, then Jesus is going to come back. I don't know if they've read the news lately. That's not happening. And, and, and if that is what they believe, they're failing miserably because the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Right? So we got to look at this thing. We have to say, wait a minute. All these things God is doing to get people ready to understand that there is a judgment that's coming. I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. If you want to start a study of prophecy, I think this is a great place to do it. Matthew 24, 25. Uh, Josh, you might just tell Trina about this because she was asking me a little bit about this. Yeah. So she might want to listen to the tape, but... Um, so when you start in verse number one of 24, he says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out 
to him the building of the temple, but he answered them, you see all these? Uh, um, you, you, see all, you see all these, do you not? He says, truly I say to you, there will, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now you gotta understand the temple, Herod's temple in that day was one of the most magnificent pieces of work in the ancient world, right? I mean, it was amazing. Of course, we know today, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Remember that in prophecy. Looking back, you can always go, oh yeah, that makes sense, right? Um, but the only thing that's left is what? There is some of that temple left. Do you know what it is? It's the mount, right? Mm -mm. It's the Wailing Wall. Oh. It's the Western Wall, right? If you ever see those pictures of the priests and they're they're praying at the Wailing so Wall. What did they fight over? Like the, the the rock. The dome? Yeah, the dome. The dome's sitting on the temple. I mean, it's sitting on the same spot. Oh, okay, so that's. that's yeah, but the Western Wall. The only thing left of Herod's Temple is oh, that Herod's Temple. Okay. Yeah, is that Western Wall. Okay. And so they're constantly praying for the restoration of Israel because they've lost it. Yeah, yeah. So you're on the right track. Um, okay, so that poses a question for them. Verse number three, it says, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when, these th when, uh, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. So the very first thing he says is, this is going to be a, a point of deception, okay? He says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And we've seen that already. Um, we've seen some, some people do that. But um, he goes on, he says, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So some of those things we've already seen, nations rising against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. And what Jesus is telling them is more than likely this is not gonna be in your lifetime, right? Uh, this is gonna take a while. But then he starts talking about the earth and he says there's gonna be famines and earthquakes in various places and all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. And then they will deliver you up uh, to tribulation and put you to death and you will, you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will, will arise and lead many astray. So this is, this is not looking good, right? Verse 15, it says, so, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Anytime you see that, whenever Jesus says, let the reader understand, or he that hath the ears, let him hear, uh, what he means is it's gonna take you a little bit of study. That's what he means. It's gonna take you a little bit of study, but you can find it. So he gave you the, he gave you the reference. He said, it's in the book of Daniel where it talks about this abomination of desolation that's gonna happen. Anybody know what that is? Right? Okay. I'll, I'll talk about that. He says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the, uh, flee to the mountains. Let the one who is, is on the housetop not go down to take what is, what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Where are they running from? We were given the key of who, who this is talking about. 
What does it say there in 16? Who is it? The Judea. So. Right? Those that are in Judea. So this is not a world prophecy. This is specific to Jerusalem. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, I want to pause on Matthew 24. We'll come back there in a second. And I want you to take your sheet out. And let's look at the sheet. Let me see if I can just walk you through some of this. This is a timeline, a very basic timeline. Okay? So I'm going to give you the major points of, the, uh, of this timeline as we walk through some of the stuff you guys, uh, we've talked about already as we're walking through the book of Genesis. So in Genesis 1-1, we see the earth was created, the heaven and the earth was created, right? But then by Genesis 1-2, we know that there was the fall of Satan, and I've gave, given you the scripture reference there, Ezekiel 28, 16 through 19, right? So that we know that Satan fell and this world fell into uh, the, the void darkness that it was, and then God remakes it into what it is today, right? Or what it was before the flood. Then you, then you have the fall of Adam that comes in Genesis 3. Um, and then I skipped ahead, and like I said, this is a, a very limited timeline. I just want to show you the, really the, the movement of Christ. But, but then you've got the first advent, okay? Or the second Adam, the kingdom is now offered by the king himself. Jesus comes and offers the kingdom to Jerusalem, right? Okay, but we know that they reject, and in their rejection, they put Jesus on the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, the Bible tells us very specifically, just as Noah was three days in the well's belly, so must I be three days in the heart of the earth. So we know that, um, that Jesus went down to paradise, the place of the dead. In, in Hebrew, that's called Sheol, okay, which is interpreted the place of the dead. So it had two compartments, and you see those two compartments there. One of them is hell, where people were tormented. The other one was paradise, or Abraham's bosom, okay? Um, the Bible tells us that when Jesus rose again in three days, that all the saints that were waiting for his crucifixion, because that, that was the final payment for their sin, that they were resurrected with Christ. I've given you the scripture reference there. Matthew 27, 52 and 53 says that not only did Jesus resurrect, but all the saints were resurrected with him and they went to heaven, right? So hell at that point then, because now there's no need for a holding place because Jesus has already paid the penalties. Now to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord, right? So there's no reason for that holding place and hell has been expanded. Okay, so you've got the ascension of Christ. So you see the arrow where Christ goes back to where he was before, that's the ascension. And then you start what's called right now the age of grace. This age of grace is what we're living in right now. Another name for it is the church age, okay? Uh, this time where it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, everyone can be saved and everyone can be saved by receiving Christ as their Lord and Savior, right? Um, that's called the age of grace. That age is not going to last forever. We're going to come to the end of that age. And notice the little, the, the, the little breakout here. It says, during the seven-year tribulation, there is no physical ruler over the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, right? So um, the, the, the next thing that happens after the age of grace is the rapture. 
The Bible tells us that the trumpet will sound. Those that are dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to ever be with the Lord, right? So we get raptured up. We meet the Lord in the air and this world goes through seven years of tribulation, okay? Now that seven years of tribulation is broken up into three and a half years called the tribulation and three and a half years called the great tribulation, okay? And then, um, and then after that seven year period, Jesus actually comes back. It's called the second advent. Okay, because some people get the rapture and the second advent confused. Jesus doesn't, on the first, on the rapture, Jesus never puts his feet on the ground. He just comes back to get his children. The advents are when Jesus actually puts his feet back on the Mount of Olives again, because the angel said he's gonna come back just as he left he's going to come back that second time, okay? When he comes back for the second advent, then he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years, okay? After the thousand year reign of Christ, there is one more battle that needs to be fought. The Bible says that the devil is loosed from his prison for a little season and he goes out and he starts putting doubt in people's minds again, trying to turn as many as he can from uh, from God at that point. And the Bible says there is a multitude of people that follow after Satan. It blows my mind. But nevertheless, it blows my mind even still today. But, um, but there's a multitude of people that follow after Satan. And the Bible says that God just wipes him out with the breath of his mouth. Just wipes him out, right? That's the final battle. And then we go into eternity where God is all in all again and the earth is restored back. New heaven, new earth, the way that it was before. Okay? So that's just a very quick timeline. Um, that's, that's a lot of information. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to focus on the thing that's important right now, which is that tribulation time. That's seven years of transition. Okay? So I want you to notice there's a scripture here that I put in Matthew 24. Verse number 30, okay? So let's look at that real quick. Look at verse number 29. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will, give it, will, will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in all the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, uh, trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from, from one end of heaven to the other. So notice the keys. There's some keys that are given to you. He says immediately, when is this going to happen? After. Immediately after what? Tribulation. All right, so you got the tribulation. So this is a biblical word. This is not something I'm making up, okay? There is a time of tribulation, and immediately after that time of tribulation, Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to come back to rule and reign. Now, here's the cool thing for me. Notice what happens. It says that everything goes dark, right? The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. That's like a total blackness. Well, Netflix has just put uh, Justin Timberlake's concert on, online, I don't know if you guys have seen that or not, but um, it's the 2020 concert. And so I pulled it up today, right? You know how it starts off? Everybody's coming in and then everything goes black. And Justin Timberlake then is, 
he, he's on a uh, uh, on a uh, a hydraulic lift, right? He gets lifted up, and then all of a sudden, lights hit him, right? Can you? Okay, so think think about this. Think about think about how magnificent it's going to be before Jesus comes on the scene. There's no sun. There's no moon. Obviously, the moon doesn't have any light, right? So there's no sun. There's no moon. There's no stars. The only thing that's going to be light is Jesus Himself. Bam, right? And the king comes on the scene. It's going to be, yeah. And his was cool, but (laughs) it's going to be better, right? Okay, so right before that, you've got this transition time of this tribulation, okay? So I want you to turn back to the book of Daniel because what Jesus told us is that if we have understanding, we're going to get it from Daniel, right? So we're going to turn back to Daniel chapter 9. Look at Daniel chapter 9. And also I want you to pull out your other sheet. And at the top, at the top of that other sheet it says the 70 weeks of Daniel. Daniel 9, 24 through 27, right? So let's turn there. Daniel 9.24, it says this, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression and to put an end to sin. Okay? So when he's talking here and Daniel's talking, or the Lord's talking to Daniel and says uh, that, that 70 weeks are declared for your people. Who is that? It's Israel. Huh? Israel. It's Israel. Okay? So what's 70 weeks, right? We've got to figure out what that is. Uh, but he goes on and he says, he says and, and to atone for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal both the vision and prophet uh, and, and to anoint the most holy place. Now therefore, uh, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and to build is, uh, Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. All right. So, if I say to you, um, if I say to you, I'd like to have a dozen donuts, what does that mean? Twelve. Twelve. If I say I want a baker's dozen, thirteen. It's thirteen, right? Okay. So, let's say that I want, uh, let's say that I want you to go get me a dozen chairs. How many chairs do I want? What if I say I want a couple? What if I say I want a few? Three or more. Three or more, right? So, okay, so we know that we use these terms, and the terms are numeric terms, right? But, but in those numeric terms, the object of that can be all kinds of things, right? Okay, so if I say it's going to take us a week to finish this job, how long is that? Seven days. Give me five if you're work week. Work week, right? 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 Uh, if I said work week, we would definitely think it'd be something else, right? Uh, but we understand the word week to mean seven. And specifically in our context, a week is, we always liken it to days. Okay, but here's what I've got to get you to understand when you're studying prophecy is that the week just means seven. See, that's what mine says. Mine says 77. Right. I'm glad you said that because I read that before you said that. 
it, it wouldn't have clicked, right? Yeah, yeah. But now it makes sense because he's just, what he's doing is he's pairing up sevens. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's going to be 70 weeks or 70 sevens, mm -hmm. right? And so as we study the rest of the scripture, we understand that these, that these sevens are years, <clears throat> okay? So when you're looking at, when you're looking at your, uh, your, your chart there, he says, let me read the scripture. It says, 70 weeks are, are, are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put, the, put an end to sin and to atone for the iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and seal both the vision of the prophet and to anoint the most holy place. All right, so here's what's going to happen. God is going to end sin, okay? And he's going to have Israel receive their king, the anointed one. Okay, so when somebody asks you, what are these seven weeks for? What are these seven years for of tribulation? What is that all about? There's really two reasons to end sin and to bring about the king. Because remember, Israel right now has rejected that king. They don't believe that Jesus is the king. They don't believe that he's the Messiah. They don't believe that he's the son of God. Uh, some will make a statement and say that he's he's a prophet. Uh, but I would argue and say if he is, he's a liar. Right. Because he said he was the son of God. And so, um, you know, and that's one of the reasons why the Pharisees killed him, all right? So he's either a good prophet or, or he, he's either a, he, he either is the Messiah or he's a liar, one of the two, right? A false prophet. Okay, so when we're looking at these 70 weeks, look at your sheet here, because it, it, it begins to break it out in verse, uh, um, Let's look at verse number 25. It says, Now know therefore and understand that, that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be how many weeks? Seven. There's seven weeks. Okay, so if you take seven and you're going to make that weeks being years, then seven times seven is how many years? Forty-nine, Forty-nine years. Okay, now, when you look at this marker, because the Bible is now giving you a marker, that it says, when the word to restore and to build, and to, uh, build Jerusalem, the coming of the anointed one, is going to be seven weeks. All right, so what is that marker? Does anybody know? What does it mean when it says, when the word to restore and build Jerusalem? No, I mean, I'm, I'm cheating. Okay. What does it say? I mean, I, I'm just thinking, is it, is it the, the wall? The, I mean, the, uh, yeah, the wall in Jerusalem? And it's the whole the book of Nehemiah. Yeah. Okay? When you read the book of Nehemiah, what happens is, is that Nehemiah's <clears throat> heart is broken. And remember what we talked about at the beginning. Because God started to move in Nehemiah. And he started, get, he started to burden Nehemiah with the restoring of Jerusalem, with the restoring of the wall. Right? So what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah goes to the king, mm -hmm. and, and this is a, 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 not a Jewish king, but, um, um, you know, they're, they're in uh, captivity at this point. Artaxerxes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He goes to Artaxerxes, and he says, listen, the Lord's really burdened my heart. I've got to do this thing, man. I, I've got to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. So what then, what then happens? The king gives him letters, money, everything that he needs, which is unheard of. Right? Yeah, it's, it's unheard of, right? Uh, but God moves the hearts of kings to bring about his will. And so 
he, he, now, here's the thing that you've got to understand. Nehemiah, uh, Daniel is living in the time period of the captivity. Okay? So none of this has happened yet. This is not looking, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But there have been a lot of scholars that say there's no way that the book of Daniel was written by Daniel because it's too prophetically accurate. And there's no way it can be that accurate. And I would argue and say, it's godly. It's God. Of course it's accurate. Right? So he begins to lay this thing out completely. So 49 years from the time that this is written is when Artaxerxes makes that decree and says, I'm going to give all the monies, Nehemiah is going to go, and he's going to restore the wall. Okay? Now, the cool thing about that for us is there's a date on that. Okay? So that date is somewhere around B.C. 445. B.C. 445 is when that decree goes out for him to start that. Okay? Which, here, here's the important thing for you in prophecy. It starts God's time clock for Israel on these 70 weeks. Okay? So let's read a little farther. Verse 25. Have I lost you already? You guys deer in headlights? Okay. Yeah, I'm okay with that right now. Just keep following me, okay? It says, then for, then, then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with uh, squares and, and a moat, uh, but, but, it, but in a troubled time. Now, if you read the story of Nehemiah, that's exactly what happens. He goes back and tries to rebuild it. He's got people coming up against him. Um, and and the, it, it's, a, it's a hard thing. They've got they've to have mortar in one hand and a sword in the other as they're trying to rebuild the wall. It was in troubled times. Verse 26, it says, After the 62 weeks, um, an anointed one shall be cut off and, and, and shall have nothing. All right, so 62 times seven is how many? Huh? 434 years. So when you look at your chart there, you'll see that you have the first 49 years and then Jerusalem's rebuilt. And then Jerusalem is back. All the people come back into Jerusalem for 443 years. And then what happens? Jesus comes on the scene. The anointed one comes on the scene. Now, if you guys will remember the Christmas story, you had the Magi. We three kings of Orient are bearing these gifts. We travel so far, right? Okay, so these kings come and they come to Herod and they say what? Where's the king? Where's the anointed one? And Herod says, what are you talking about? And so he goes and he talks to the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees tell him, well, the prophecy is that he would come. Listen, they knew that it was the time that Jesus would come mm -hmm. to the year. They knew when he would come. The only difference between the Jewish people and the Magi is that the Magi just had, had done the math. They saw the star. He's here, Right? So it wasn't like this, what I'm trying to get you to understand is that God told them already. So even when, even when Herod comes to the Jerusalem people and, and says to the Pharisees, hey, where's this guy at? They don't deny it. Well, you know, the prophecy says. And so Herod, it, it's so clear that this lost king says, well, let's fix that problem. We'll just kill all the babies and let's do it from two years down just to make sure that if he's in that two-year span, if we're off by a year or so, we'll just kill them all. 
That's a big command. So he must have been sure of the prophecy that Messiah had come on the scene, that the king was here, because he killed all the babies. It's amazing, right? That's coming from a lost king. The prophecy of God is so sure that even lost people can see it if they're presented with the facts. And here's another thing that prophecy does for you. We don't have, we don't have a faith that's based in fiction or fable. These things are based in fact. God has said it. Everything that God has said has come true. 100% of the time, he did give all this information to Daniel. So and it's really not even done yet because verse 26 says, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off. What do you think that means? Crucifixion. It's the crucifixion, right? He's gonna be cut off and shall have nothing. And, and, and the people of the prince who, who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. All right, so Jesus dies, right? He dies, on the, he dies on the cross, he's resurrected again. 40 years after uh, Christ uh, is resurrected, they destroy the temple. 70 AD is when the temple is destroyed, right? So it goes on, it says, and the people of the prince who, who will come shall destroy the city and, and, and the sanctuary. Now that's what Jesus told the disciples. He said, there's not gonna be one brick left on another. And he said that in his lifetime. He says, you see all this? There's gonna come a time where you see it. Now, those disciples would have been young. They would have probably been 20-somethings, maybe even younger than that. So for them to go 40 years and to see in AD 70, to see the destruction of the temple, they would have seen that. John lived to be uh, in, into AD 96. So they would have seen the destruction of that temple. Right? But then it goes on and it says, um, um, its end shall come with a flood and the end there shall be war, desolation, uh, uh, and desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant. So notice that he is not a capital he. It says, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for how many? For one week. So when you figure up the 62 weeks and then you figure up the seven weeks, that's 69 weeks. So there's one week left. And week is how long? It's seven years, right? So, so it's a seven year time period. Notice what he says. He says, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And, and, for, and for half of the week, he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering and on the wing, uh, on the wing of, of, of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decree end is poured out on, on the desolator, which that's a lot of words, right? Let me tell you what happens. Sometime in the near future, and I don't know when this end, but, but I believe it's in my lifetime. Sometime in the near future, we're gonna figure this Israel thing out and somebody's gonna bring peace to the Middle East. That person, whoever that is, that brings peace to the Middle East is gonna be the Antichrist. In Revelation, you have a false trinity of the great dragon, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, okay? And so the Antichrist is gonna come and he is going to make this decree with Israel in the surrounding areas, and he's going to bring peace. Turn over to um, 1 Thessalonians. 
and I'm only going to be able to get you guys started tonight. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse number one. This is Paul talking to the church, right? He says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to to have uh, anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security. Okay? So you're gonna have this time where there's gonna be this peace and the security, the safety. They're gonna think that they have peace during this one week period or during this, this seven year period. But in the middle of the week, in Daniel he says in the middle of the week, then he's gonna come in and he's gonna do an abomination of desolation, which Jesus talked about as well. Okay, so what's gonna happen is, is that the Antichrist is gonna come into the temple in, in the midpoint of the tribulation and he's gonna claim himself to be God. And he's gonna desecrate the temple of God. Now this temple has not been created yet. Right, because we got the dome of the rock on there now, but um, but there's going to be a temple, and he's going to the the antichrist is going to come into this temple, and he's going to claim himself to be God. Now, here's the thing: the Bible says that this son of perdition, this this antichrist, is going to have power, so he's going to be able to do miracles, so he's going to fool the people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and they're, they're going to believe that he is in fact God. So he's going to set himself up to be God. He's going to desecrate the temple and people are going to start worshiping him as God instead of the real God. That's that abomination of desolation. That's what the abomination of desolation is. Does that make sense? Okay. So now you've got the Antichrist who's shown himself to be God. You've got the false prophet walking around and, he's, and he also has powers. Um, he's got some of the same powers that Moses had over, over um, nature and wind and different things like that, okay? And so these guys are, are, are gonna make a good show to where if you're left here, you're gonna believe that he's God. Um, the problem with that is, is that you're also gonna be damned with him, okay? Um, let me show that to you. Give me just a second to find that. I think it's in... Uh, it won't take me but just a second. Um, oh yeah. Second Thessalonians. So you should be pretty close, right? First Thessalonians, we can go on to Second Thessalonians chapter two. Okay, so here we have another uh, understanding. It says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, as uh, uh, we, we ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So somebody was sending out letters to the churches saying the tribulation is already happening. And so Paul's writing back saying, no, it hasn't happened yet. We didn't send out any letter. Um, somebody has misinformed you. Somebody's messing with you, right? 
Verse three, it says, let no, one dece- let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. That's the Antichrist, okay? Who opposes and exalts himself against every uh, so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, I took you here because I, don't, I want you to know I'm not making this stuff up, right? It's in here, okay? And so um, he's gonna set himself up and proclaim himself to be God. Verse number five, it says, uh, do you not remember that when I was still with you that I told you of these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now, this was in Paul's day. So what he's saying is, is that Satan is setting this thing up and it's getting ready to happen, okay? And we see it moving that way. And, and, and I'll be honest with you. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that the American president is going to be the Antichrist. One of the reasons is because when you read in the scriptures, America is really not mentioned, okay? Um, I don't know what that means, um, but we're really not in there all that much. So, you know, every, it seems like every time that a Democrat gets elected, somebody says he's the Antichrist. Uh, um, you know, so I don't believe that necessarily. I don't think that in this election, although I will say it's real interesting that we are the world power, that we control other regions, and we have a lot of influence in the Middle East. So I do believe that the president that's chosen, and it don't matter which side you're on, He's probably going to be moving in that direction. Yeah. Okay? Because that this is prophecy. We know the prophecy is true. If you think that there's going to be some president that comes in that's going to turn the ship back to a Christian nation, I'm telling you right now, if you understand your Bible, that's not happening. The responsibility to be in a Christian nation is not on the government, it's on the church. It's on us. It's our responsibility to take care of people. It's our responsibility to show the love of Christ, not the government's responsibility. The government... Yeah, well, and the government is led by Satan. There's no question about it. That's, That's his vehicle of making this thing happen, right? And I don't care which side of the fence you're on. Um... Now, I'm going to vote because I'm a good American and I believe in voting and the right to vote. I'm going to do that. Um, uh, I just don't know that my vote has got a lot of weight to it in the direction that the country's going. Okay? So let's continue reading about the mystery of lawlessness. It says it's already at work, verse number seven. Only he who now restrains it uh, will do so until he is out of the way. You know who restrains those things? We're, we're, we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know who restrains those things? We do. What would the world be like if all the Christians were gone? If there wasn't that voice of the majority or, there, or, or the minority, you know what I mean? What, what if we were all taken out of the way, which is going to happen, right? See, what happens is that the Holy Spirit in us, we will not tolerate or allow Satan to do everything that he wants to do We restrain that. We hold that back. Through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ who lives in us, we're restraining that evil from taking place. Well, when God's ready to judge the world for their sin, then he raptures us out. That restraint of himself is then gone. Now, some people say that the Holy Spirit leaves 
that's too far. The Holy Spirit is still on the scene, very active in the tribulation, very active in the millennium. He's just not doing it through us. He's just not doing it through people. Okay? Let's go a little farther. So he says, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will, will kill with the, with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the, the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth uh, and, and so be saved. So right now we call it the age of grace because people have the opportunity right now to believe the message of Jesus and we are those watchmen, we are the heralds that are blowing the trumpet saying, listen, today is the day of salvation. Today you need to be saved because listen, it changes whenever we're raptured out. That witness is gone, right? And notice what it says here. This is interesting. Verse number 11, it says, therefore God sends a strong delusion. Who sends it? God is going to cause a strong delusion on the people so that they may believe what is false in order that all may, may be condemned who, who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So if you're not receiving the Lord Jesus Christ now with all the heralds, with all the churches, and, and listen, if you want to know about Christianity today and I really don't care where you live, you can find out. Um, one of the partnerships that I have going, and you guys will hear, hear about this, is um, uh, Faith Comes by Hearing. Has anybody ever heard of Faith Comes by Hearing? Faith Comes by Hearing is an organization where what they do is, the, is they take little um, digital devices and different things, and they, um, uh, they send them around the world, uh, like the Bible on little SD cards, or um, one of the things that one of the projects we're going to do, and you'll hear about this in the next couple of weeks, is they also provide little digital Bibles to the military men. Um, so, and they say that they listen to them the most on, on planes when they're being transported from one place to the other. But listen, the Bible is readily available today. You can, you can download it, you can get it off uh, the internet, um, all kinds of things, right? So it's readily available to people. And if you don't believe the message of salvation today, if you have heard the message and you have rejected that message, then when Satan comes on the scene, he sets himself up to, God, to be God. He, he, we go through this abomination of desolation. The Bible says that God sends a strong delusion on those individuals and they will not believe the truth. They will, they will fall into the lie that this guy is God and they will be condemned with him. That makes sense? There's an urgency about what we're doing. Uh, that's the reason why I've devoted my life to it. It's definitely not because of the pay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm telling you, right? Uh, I'm okay with that because it's all going to burn anyway. And I'm going to save as many people as I can save. And really not to the end of the world, to the end of this age. Because as soon as that trumpet blows, things change. The, the salvation is not readily available. Listen, for somebody to be saved during the tribulation time, that seven-year period, it changes because now they have to endure to the end. And the Bible starts to say things like, okay, don't take the mark of the beast, right? Because what's going to happen is, is that when Satan sets himself up to be God in the temple and he starts running the entire show, what he's going to say is, is that 
You want to go to the store? You want to buy bread? You want to get, you want to get groceries? You just need to have the mark. But if you don't have the mark, you can't buy or sell. So you can be hiding out if you want to as a Christian. You know, if you believe in God and somehow you come to Christ in, in that time of tribulation, but if you take the mark, then you're going to be damned. So you're going to be desolate. You're going to be on the run. You're not going to be able to do commerce. And we're getting close to that now when you look at the debit cards and, you know, all those, who carries cash anymore? You know, I mean, honestly, very few people. But, but even if you did carry cash, it's not going to matter because it's all going to come down to a number and it's all going to come down to a mark. Now, I don't know if the, you know, I don't know if the mark of the beast is going to have a chip. You know, there's all kinds of talk about, you know, what it could be or whatever. Um, you know, they, they've even talked about, you can read articles today about putting chips in your right hand. Um, anytime they start talking about your right hand or your forehead, you better be careful. Because those are the things that the Bible specifically says of where the mark of the beast is going to go. Right? I would encourage you not to do that. Okay? Um, hopefully we're not going to be here. Um, if you're here and I'm gone, I did not get taken by aliens. <laughs> Jesus took me. All right? Um, but nevertheless, you would have to endure to the end. You're going to have to make it through that seven-year period, not being able to do commerce, being, being on the run, and they're trying to cut your head off because anybody who claims Christianity is going to be martyred. It changes. Okay? All right. I'm going to leave you with that tonight. That's a lot. Right? And we're just, we're really, we're just getting started. I want you guys to meditate. So you have some homework, okay? These two sheets that I've given you, I want you to look up every scripture that's on those two pages. Follow the timelines and see if you can't make some sense out of what we talked about tonight. And we'll talk about it. Now, next week, next week we're not meeting because we're going to Hell's Gates, which is going to flow right into uh, this, this outside drama. What they're going to do is they're going to be putting on a drama of what's going to be happening during the tribulation time. So I did that on purpose because I want you to get a visual of it. Then we'll come back the next week and we'll continue our study talking about it.